Welcome to Handcrafting Your Retirement with Brett Ramsey from Artisan Wealth Strategies. In this podcast, we help retirees as well as those who are considering retirement overcome generic wealth management advice that limits your future. We do this by handcrafting customized financial strategies centered on your unique lifestyle. Jump on board for this journey where we delve into strategies that can help make your money outlast you as Brett draws from years of experience with guest experts to eliminate cookie cutter saving strategies. Welcome to Handcrafting Your Retirement with your host, Brett Ramsey, where we talk about what you want in retirement and how to make it happen. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hey there, Brett. How are you? I'm doing well, Wendy. How are you today? Oh, it's just the weather. It's beautiful. Finally. It is nice to look outside and see some sunshine. Uh, how about you, Jeremy? What's like where you're at today? It's beautiful. I'm in beautiful Kansas City, the heart of the Midwest, uh, 78, sunny, gorgeous. It's a gorgeous Who the heck day. is Jeremy? Tell us who Jeremy is, Brad. <laughs> well, that's our guest today. He's uh, going to be talking to us about something that's near and dear to my heart and hopefully near and dear to most of our listeners, which is uh, basically uh, the magic of where does the money go and when we invest it, what does our portfolio look like? Um, you know, I always like to start with a little bit of a story to kind of bring people into the reality. And for me on this one, um, we're gonna be talking about construction. And I don't know, sometimes uh, it's hard for people to build things when they don't know what it's supposed to look like when they're done. I don't know if you're like that, but I'm not really great at uh, like starting a project with blueprints and things of that nature. So oftentimes I end up where things don't quite fit together, right? I may have told this story once before, but I was putting together a swing set and uh, for my kids and my dad came over to help with putting the swing set together. And I started with pulling out the instructions and the blueprints and everything and laying out all the pieces. But dad just started putting the pieces together in the way that he thought they went. Uh -oh. And so about halfway through the project, I'm like, dad, where does the slide go? And he's like, oh, no. And he had <laughs> put parts together where the slide was no longer going to fit. So we had to take things back apart. And so I find oftentimes when I'm talking to my clients about investing their money and putting their portfolio together and what it starts to look like, a little bit of the problem is that, that they don't know what it's supposed to look like when it's finished. And so they really don't know what it should look like and how it all fits together. And so that's a part of the reason why I invited Jeremy today was to help talk to our clients about what does it mean to construct a portfolio? What are the different parts and, and some of the words and language? And, and I know Jeremy's way smarter and I'm going to let him tell his story about kind of his background about this than I am, but I find it's a language. It, it's not even like reading a blueprint. It's like reading a Chinese blueprint. It's like something that most people don't know the language. They don't know the words. And so they get a little overwhelmed because they don't know what it's supposed to look like. And then they can't read the language and then they get frustrated because then they don't really have what they want to have um, because they, they can't convey these emotional words into mathematical words. And, and today, hopefully Jeremy is going to help us decipher some of that. So why don't I start with Jeremy and just give us a little bit about your background and, and um, you know, where you are today, not just physically, but kind of where you work and, and those things. And then we'll kind of just get into a discussion about this constructing a good portfolio for retirement. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's funny when you're talking about like knowing what something should look like, um, my grandmother was Sicilian and she, she didn't really have recipes. She just knew how things should taste. So she'd be making like Zugu or something. And we'd be like, Nana, how much you put in there? How much you put that? She said, I don't know. 
just when it tastes right. So, so it's kind of the same deal, you know, once you kind of know the taste or know how something looks, um, much better chance of being successful. No. Yeah. So, and just to start off, right. Thanks for having me on here. I just, uh, I love, I've loved our conversations when we worked together in the past and this, hopefully this will be really fun. Uh, so where I'm at today, uh, I'm at American Century Investments, um, a little bit of my short story. I've always been a nerd, uh, science, math. I got my biology degree from the University of Kansas, rock chalk, um, worked in a DNA lab for a while, uh, but finance is always my calling. Um, so I went to Waddell and Reed, worked there for quite a while, ended up getting my MBA, CFA, and then came over here to American Century Investments in uh, January of 2009. And uh, just a little bit about ACI, American Century Investments, um, 200 million in assets under supervision, um, you know, mutual funds, ETFs, locations across the globe. But what really kind of brought me to American Century Investments is this relationship we have with Stowers Institute. I always feel like I, I have to mention this because it's it was such a big part of why I joined this firm. I had a bunch of family that have died of cancer, grandfathers, you know, grandfather, uncles, aunts, and uh, American Century is, you know, majority owned by uh, Stowers Institute for Medical Research, which uh, Mr. Stowers and his wife, uh, Virginia, were cancer survivors. Um, they donated a, a large part of their personal wealth to create this institute. And all they do is look, you know, research and try to come up with cures for things like cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's. Uh, so that's how I kind of ended up at American Century. Uh, and, you know, what I do now is about seven, eight years ago, um, I helped co-found the portfolio construction team. And really, as you know, Brett, you know, what we do, our number one goal is to help, you know, advisors like you, Brett, you know, have better outcomes for their clients by looking at, you know, investment models and portfolios and really just help them try to make things um, as, as efficient uh, and as successful as possible. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story and our working together. Uh, some of those things I hadn't gotten, but we, although come from a different heritage, we must have had the same grandmother <laughs> um, because my grandmother made things the same way, but she made them in the Ozarks. And so she was a great dumpling maker. And um, she also made a very mean blackberry cobbler where she would send me out into the into the fields to pick the blackberries to keep me busy, quite frankly, when I was an active young boy and bring the blackberries back and make that cobbler. And Grandma, how'd you make that cobbler? Well, when it tastes right, it's it's right. And yep. <laughs> um, and so that's a big part of it. And then also you brought into the passion for why we do what we do when we talk about outcomes for people. And we've talked about the personal health impact of, of what we do. And, and, and on some of our other podcasts, our, our clients and listeners have heard about how important your health and, and your what you're trying to accomplish and why and when and how all this fits together. It is an element to this discussion, even though we're talking about portfolio construction, I think bringing in the word outcomes is a big one because that's one that we use as well. And we talk about when you need the money a lot and, you know, like it's got to taste right. Well, how do you know when it tastes right? Well, you kind of got to know what it's supposed to taste like, but you also got to know kind of when you want it, right? Like, and, and that's all a big part of it. So you know, I, I'm going to throw a lot of different things at you here, but I think the number one question our clients are confused about is the word risk, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so often in our industry, and once again, I don't like these words because I don't think most people know what they mean, but we usually start a conversation with our clients around this thing called a risk profile, which is yeah. a fancy way of trying to figure out um, how much you're willing to 
risk uh, to get the results that you want, but we don't use a great uh, set of words to help explain that. So maybe when you hear that word from your chair, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about how you maybe unpack the word risk and how you think about helping uh, people like me navigate uh, the clients, uh, getting them in the right stuff? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And you know, risk, it's, it's, it's such a, a wide topic, you know, and it really like when you get down to the personal level, you know, risk is different for every person, you know, like my mom, like her family didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. So she's always been very frugal and she's always been very conservative with her investing. Um, but, but there are others that, you know, that may be a little bit more risk taking, but when I think of risk, I think of a few different things, right? So, a lot of the times we talk with advisors about risk and their clients, there, there's two big risks that come up and it's either the risk of missing out, right? You know, the risk of not having as much upside capture, you're not capturing as much of that upswing in the market and also the risk of losing, which is kind of where my mom would fit in, which is more of that downside. And the way we think about it is from our portfolio construction team, that downside risk is so important to look after. And the reason it's, it's kind of a fancy word, but it's it's the asymmetrical nature of gains and losses. And basically what it means is any loss you have, you need an exponentially high return to get that back. So if you lose 20%, you got to make 25% just to get back to even. If you lose 30%, you got to make 43% just to get back to even. So a lot of what we talk about from our team is how to help maybe you know manage some of that downside risk. Um, but also kind of taking account the upside, you know, capture too. Now, another risk, and this is probably, you know, one of the more central things of what my team personally looks after. And I think what every investor should look after is unintended risk, right? The risk you don't know you're taking. Um, and, and I, just to kind of go off on a personal tangent, uh, I grew up a huge boxing fan. And Purnell Sweet P. Whitaker was one of my favorite boxers. Me and my dad watched all the fights. And Purnell was just, he's an amazing fighter. The, the great thing about him was his defense. Like he could avoid any punch. But I often think about unintended risk like Purnell, right? Like he was super skilled, but if you put like a blindfold on him, you know, an old lady would knock him out in a heartbeat, right? So to, to be able to manage the risk, you have to understand what risk you're taking. So a lot of our time is spent trying to kind of uncover some of the unintended risk to help avoid some of that downside Um is that, I mean, I'm not sure how deep you want me to go on that, but you know, no, that's, that's I mean, kind I, of the, the broad, broad I scope of how we look at it. I think that's perfect. I mean, a lot of that language is, is both the good parts and the bad parts of our industry all at once, you know, using the word like asymmetrical, very accurate mathematical word, not a word the man on the street's going to know very well, right? So our job as the advisor is sometimes to interpret the language that's very real in the world that you live in and the work that you do for us and in, in helping us build these portfolios. I have to speak that language, right? And understand what you just meant by that. But then I also have to then translate that language and help what I call regular people understand what does that even mean to take that kind of risk. And so one of the things that we do in our portfolio, and we're going to kind of talk more about some of these words as we go, is I always use the word when you need the money. And so, as you know, we've kind of broken our portfolio into some time segments so that we can help deal with very, the exact thing you just talked about, right? Which is if I'm taking money out of a portfolio, taking withdrawals, right? Which is what retirees typically need to do, which is why we retired. We're not working for a paycheck anymore. So the money that we saved have to provide that paycheck. 
How do we do that in a volatile world, which means that things aren't steady state. They're not the same every day. So by sequencing things, by splitting it up so that not all of the money is doing the same job at the same time, some of the money cannot be exposed to some of those downside moments because that's the money I need now, right? And then the money that I need not now, but later. Um, uh, I was a big candy fan as a kid on, on Halloween. I like now and laters. And so we need our now money and we need our later money. And that later money needs some of that. And I use the word volatility quite a bit with mm -hmm. our clients uh, instead of just strictly the word risk is because when a, a, an investment is more volatile in its price, it, by its very nature is riskier, right? Uh, because it's it's not as, as steady state in its value. But Oftentimes, those are the ones that pay us better over time, that upside capture you were talking about. And so mm -hmm. we need to be able to put those things in the portfolio. But I don't have to use every single thing in the portfolio every month when I get my withdrawal, right? So splitting them up yeah. and putting them together in their different jobs and helping our clients understand why, like your mom, for example, although she might, and I hate the word conservative because we've turned it into a political word. <laughs> And it's not, we're not talking about conservatives and liberals. We're talking about people who think they don't want to take on risk, right? Uh, we put a, an emotional word to a mathematical thing and we call them conservative. But really what that means is I, I don't like the feeling of my money's value bouncing around, right? I, I don't like it when it goes up and down in value. I like it when it goes up. I hate it when it goes down. But all of our money doesn't have to be in that category. Some of it can be very conservative and then some of it, if we're going to keep up, especially with inflation where it's at today, we need it to take some risks as we need it to grow. Why? Because things are going to cost more in the future than they cost today. So let's just step right into these words. And I think they're the most charged words that we have in our industry, aggressive and conservative. So for our listeners, can you maybe just kind of, when you hear those words, kind of help them understand what does it really mean? Is it, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. And really it comes down to, you know, Investors are different, right? Like in you, you talk about like, you know, risk appetite, you know, versus risk capacity, right? You know, those are two different things, right? Risk capacity is how much risk an investor can take, right? You know, you think maybe a, a more wealthy investor that has a bigger nest egg versus risk appetite, which is how much they want to take. Two different things. So when we talk about like aggressive versus conservative as investment professionals, we try to help investors you know, find the right portfolio based on, you know, what they can take in terms of risk and, and, and what, you know, uh, they're willing to take. So like for a conservative model, you know, it could be somebody that, you know, you know, a middle-aged person that just tends to be a little bit more conservative in their investing. They, they don't feel comfortable taking more risk on, or it could be somebody that's near retirement, right? That wants a little bit more safety, you know, more fixed income, you know, things like that, that's going to be, you know, have that more defined income that's going to, you know, not, you know, bounce around as much. And two, so when you get to the, the aggressive side, you mentioned earlier, Brad, it's really just risk isn't bad, right? You know, risk is part of everyday life. It's really just trying to manage that risk, understand what risk you're taking, and try to be rewarded as much as you can for that risk. And so for an aggressive model, it's it's not, you know, better or worse than conservative, it's just a different type of investor, a different part of life, you know, maybe a different approach to how they, you know, they feel they think about money. But the, the important thing too, when you think about risk, 
because there's a behavioral element, right? I, I, I kind of grew up on the institutional side of our business, which, you know, for the listeners, it's like, you know, pensions, foundations, endowments, you know, some really, you know, sophisticated investors and the very about much about, you know, quantitative thinking. But, you know, what I like about working more with advisors and clients is there is that behavioral element, right? And, and one of the important things about investing is to stay invested. Right. And I think that's part of the balancing act of what, you know, what kind of risk, you know, comfort level different investors have, you know, if, if they're in maybe too risky of a portfolio, you know, they may get scared and jump out of the market, which again, is the last thing you want. So to get back to your original question, you know, conservative, aggressive, it's just really, you know, different types of investors, different stages in life. And within those different models, you know, you're going to have different components. You're going to stress different things, like for an aggressive model. You know, you're going to have more equities, which tend to have a little bit more risk, but also a little bit higher return potential for more conservative, as I mentioned earlier, a little bit more fixed income, a little bit more bonds, because those aren't going to be as volatile. And, you know, once you get, you know, that that endpoint sensitivity with like a retiree, you know, you probably don't want as much of that volatility bouncing around, you know, <laughs> it's not good for heartburn. <laughs> so it's not good. And and I think that that leads directly into just why we're artisan and we talk about handcrafted. So what you just talked about is understanding the client, right? Understanding their, uh, not just their needs strictly from the, what I call the, the money and the dollars and cents of it, but also their emotional needs of understanding their, you know, like I said, some people like to go to Disneyland and just watch people ride the rides. Other people like to get on them. Um, and we need to know that of how our, our, uh, how our customers feel about these things, because how they feel does matter. And I know that was a big challenge for me early in my career is that uh, a good friend of mine called me the tin man. He said that I had no heart <laughs> and I, I just challenged him on that. I was just way better at math than he was. And so I said, <laughs> it's not about your heart. It's about the math. But the reality is if we don't make the math and the heart come together, then we're not going to have successful outcomes, right? Because people aren't going to stay on the ride or they're not even going to get on it because they can't envision yeah. it. So I, I think that's so, so important. And, and when we're starting to put these different things together and you use two terms and they're only two of the very many, many investments that we can choose from, but you use the term equities and you talked about fixed income. There are other things in there that we use to put the portfolio together. And then the reason why we use these different tools and instruments is, is really, um, technically, I think sometimes is what we call correlation, which is basically mm -hmm. how things move or don't move in terms of their price together. Can you maybe just walk people through, I know that's a very complicated thing, but kind of explain to them a little bit more about what equities really are, just like definition wise, and then fixed income and some of the other tools that you use in between there um, and, and why you use these different tools because of how they, they don't behave the same at the same time. Maybe uh, tell our, our listeners about that a little bit. Yeah. And um, so, so, yeah, obviously you know, equity, it's just, you know, ownership stake in a company, right? And, 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 and it's interesting because you mentioned some of these other bits and pieces that go into a model and uh, Rich Weiss, who's uh, who head of our multi-asset strategy team here at American Century, he uses this term spice in the soup, right? So when you think about going from like a conservative to more aggressive model or portfolio, you know, you're going to have some of the same, you know, base ingredients like, you know, equities and, you know, fixed income. But maybe as you get a little bit more aggressive, you might put a little extra spice in the soup that just adds a little more flavor, adds a little bit more risk, but also adds a little bit more return potential. Like maybe, you know, real estate 
or, you know, something like um, emerging markets, you know, like, you know, areas that maybe are a little bit riskier, um, but they're, like I said, it's a little bit more spice in the soup. And in, in the, the art that you mentioned, you know, in addition to kind of balancing the quantitative and, and the real human element to this, this profession is like within portfolios, finding that right balance. And you mentioned correlation and that's such a big topic that's so important. And, and, and as you said, Brett, it's, you know, correlation is just, you know, the strength, you know, relationship between two variables. And what I mean by that is, you know, in investing, right, you have two stocks and, you know, if they're more highly correlated, that means the returns tend to do the same thing, you know, go up and down, you know, uncorrelated means those stocks tend to move in a little bit opposite direction or, you know, they're a little bit different. And the reason why that's important is because it helps smooth things out. Now I'm going to go back to my grandparents. Uh, I mentioned my nan is she's Sicilian. She's very hot tempered. My grandfather's Italian. He was very laid back. Right. So they were a really great balance for each other. You know, when she, I mean, she get a little worked up, he kind of tell a little joke and calm her down. And that's kind of what, in a portfolio, you want those things. You don't want them all doing the same thing at once, right? You want, so for instance, you know, if there's something that happens in the markets, you know, stock A, you know, it may get punished. But if you have stock B in there that doesn't tend to move in the same, you know, uh, trends as stock A, it may benefit. So over time, it reduces that volatility, that, that, that uh, the term you used earlier, it settles the volatility down. And so it does two things really. Number one, it makes for a better client investor experience. When things aren't jumping everywhere, you know, you know, when a model is a little bit more even keel, you know, it, it helps, you know, improve that investor experience. But also over time, it can help result in a better outcome, which touches on that other term you mentioned earlier. Because when you think about, you know, over time, you can reduce some of that volatility, reduce some of that downside risk by bringing in things that don't do the same thing, don't perform the same way over time, you're going to really calm things down. Uh, kind of went on a little tangent there, but you mentioned correlation. And as nerds in portfolio construction like me, we hear correlation <laughs> and we kind of get a little bit uh, excited. So uh, <laughs> I went a little bit of a tangent there. Sorry. No, no, I like it because I, I loved your story about your grandparents because I think that that's relational. That's how people are going to remember this is they're going to remember the hot-blooded Sicilian grandma and the <laughs> and the more even-tempered Italian grandfather. And I would not have known to distinguish uh, in the spice level between Sicilians <laughs> and Italians in such a manner that they would have, I would have lumped them all together inappropriately <laughs> as Italian. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think that's also very important, which leads us really kind of into the next kind of conversation, which is when we start thinking about diversification. Yes. And, and we start thinking about the differences in these categories. Mm -hmm. um, it, most of our, our, our clients and listeners, to be honest, they, they don't know a small cap from a large cap. They don't know mm -hmm. a growth from a value. They don't know an emerging market from UEFA. Like all those things I just said are just like might as well truly be, you know, alphabet soup to them. So you don't have to hit on all of those things, but can you just walk through maybe, I know market capitalization in particular is, is like very murky. People don't really know. They hear like words like blue chip and large cap. They don't really know what the distinguishers are between those things. And then, and then how you kind of look maybe at the whole world um, and how we diversify uh, across those different, uh, you know, parts of the, of the world as well. 
Yes. If there's if there's a term that gets portfolio construction nerds more excited than correlation, it's diversification. Uh, we and and you know there was you know, there's a brilliant man Harry Markowitz won a Nobel Prize for basically stating that you know diversification is the only free lunch in finance. And what that means is diversification is something you can do that reduces risk, that can create a much better outcome over time, that doesn't cost you any extra. And it really leads into that, you know, things about correlated versus uncorrelated investments, you know, and, and to kind of drill in a little bit, you know, when we talk about diversification, it's really about like controlling the controllable because there's certain things that in, in investing you really can't diversify away, you know, like, you know, 9-11, right? It, there wasn't really any diversifying that away within a, within a portfolio. But you mentioned like market cap. Uh, and, and what that is, it's really the size of a company, right? You know, think about, you know, Ford versus, you know, some, you know, small, you know, small company and the size of a company. There's, there's, there's multiple things that you can look at. You can look at size, um, you know, growth and value, um, whether the, the company is located in the United States or outside the United States. There's certain things, there's certain characteristics of, of companies that means they'll probably behave in different ways. You know, you think about, um, you know, recently, right, with, with, with the Fed increasing interest rates, you know, there are certain types of companies like, you know, maybe more high growth companies where, you know, a lot of their earnings and stuff are kind of down the line, you know, that's, that's what you're expecting is, you know, in the future, you know, these, these earnings, this reward, whereas a value company, you're getting a little bit more cash today, right? It's more established. So when you think about something like with the Fed increasing rates, you know, there's certain companies, types of companies that are going to be more impacted by that, right? Whereas, you know, more high growth company, you may suffer a little bit when rates are higher, you know, cost of capital is more expensive, right? And you, you not getting to discount rates and things like that, but as opposed to like a value company, which is more established, which has a little bit more cash flow today, it's not going to be as as much impacted. Same thing with like a United States company versus an outside United States company, right? Do you want to put together a model or portfolio where you have these different flavors? You have these different you know uh, ingredients where if you have both growth and value represented in a in a portfolio, you know. Between the two, they kind of help balance it, you know each other out. You know, larger companies versus smaller companies, right? In different parts of like a, a market cycle, you know, where there's certain times in you know market cycle where small cap companies are really going to be you know awesome. They're going to have a great advantage, but there's also times you know, when things get a little bit rocky, things get a little bit you know worrisome, where larger, more established companies are going to do better. The 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 how we approach you know portfolio construction. Is, you know, when you make big bets, you can either be really right or really wrong, right? So our kind of approach is to build, a, and I know you're in the same mindset as we are, Brad, because we have many conversations about this, have a really well-constructed model that has representations across a diverse group of asset classes and styles and, and you know, size and, and everything to where, you know, you don't have to, to bet right every time. Because if you're a long-term investor, over time, if you have these exposures that help balance each other out, 
you're going to have a better outcome. And like I said, growth value, you know, large, small, U.S., non-U.S., you know, there's a there's a multitude. And this is the things that we look at when we're going through, um, you know, a, a, an investor model. Um, yeah, so that's yeah, definitely diversification. It's, it's a big deal. And we spend a heck of a lot of time on it. And we really try to help advisors, you know, get, get that as strong as possible. Well, I know you have really appreciated your support uh, as we build our, our portfolio here at Artisan around around those topics. So got just a, a couple of minutes left here as we as we wrap up this episode and we've covered a lot of ground and talked a lot a lot. Like I said, I think uh, one of the key things that I'm going to take away from this is to think about your Nana's sauce and, <laughs> um, and, and the ingredients and, and knowing when it tastes right. And I think that just fits so much into our visualization of, of artisan and, and handcrafting something and knowing when it's right. You know, an artisan knows when the quality of their work is right, and then they know when it's not. And, and so this is a hard one, right, to explain to people sometimes because your knowledge uh, uh, and being an expert in your field, it's sometimes hard to convey all of your knowledge to other people. But if you if I could kind of like get you to think of a simple, maybe one phrase or a summary of if you were thinking, okay, portfolio for retirement in like one phrase, what would you tell our listeners are uh, like the most important things for them to just kind of know when their sauce is right? Well, that's a good one. Um, so I'll start off with something broad. And I you probably can tell I'm a big family guy. Uh, my uncle was a carpenter and he's always used to drill into me, Jeremy, you know, measure twice, cut once, you know, measure twice, cut once. And whether it be, you know, you know, especially when you're going into retirement and you're trying to put that type of portfolio together, you know, think it through, you know, and you just, like I said, all these things that we've talked about, right. You know, just think through, you know, what your goals are, you know, how much risk, you know, you, 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 you know, you're comfortable taking, but also do I have the right pieces? You know, are these pieces over time going to, you know, be beneficial? So that's the first thing. So, you know, measure twice, cut once. And then also as far as like, you know, you know, investors in retirement, um, you know, I think probably another phrase would be stick with it, <laughs> you know, cause the markets can be scary, uh, especially over, <laughs> The last few years, it has been an absolute um, unique period in our business. Um, I would say for the everyday investor or retiree, just stick with it. Um, find the advisor that you trust and you know trust them to, to look out for you. Well, I've got I've got some new new expressions. Uh, I'm a big fan of the measure twice, cut once philosophy. Um, being an engineer by background uh, and doing a lot of, of this type of work, that's what I try to tell our clients oftentimes is that we need to design in a, a successful outcome. And so we spend a lot of time trying to get to know our clients very well so that we know what outcomes they want. Um, because you really do have to customize and tailor these tools to the outcome. It really doesn't work the other way around very well, in my opinion, because you're always going to be upset because you're never going to have your swing set put together right because you don't know what it's supposed to look like. So, you know, in order well, to me measure twice, you got to know what you're trying to cut to. And one one other expression just popped in my head because it's one that we use on my team. Um, it's, you know, that which we don't measure, we can't manage, right? So it's like, you, like to your point, like, you know, have those goals, 
you know, have the you know what you want in terms of return and, and outcome, but also have really concrete ways to measure to make sure that you know you're you're going the right direction, that the compass is pointed the right way. And you know, quite frankly, you know, advisors like you, Brett, um, very good at that. You know, just always trying to stay in tune with kind of what's going on, making sure that you know your portfolios, your models are kind of headed that direction based on whatever the you know the desired outcome for the specific model is. And really, so yeah, you know, you got to measure it if you're going to manage it. Whoa. Jeremy, I really appreciate you taking time today to come and, and talk to us about this complicated topic. And, and we'll probably have you back at some point in time when we're talking about cooking. Um, and uh, his, uh, yeah, by health. the way, Jeremy, thanks for all those sayings that he's going to torture me with from this point on. Yes. <laughs> no problem. And that, I just want to say it again. Really appreciate, uh, you know, you inviting, inviting me on here and uh, yeah. Uh, if you guys want any uh, sauce recipes, go somewhere else because my nana made me promise I wouldn't give it up. So, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, mama's not. <laughs> nana's not giving. I'll give up you. That I'll sauce. give you a fake one. <laughs> fake one. I'll end up with. I'll end up with prego. That's what'll happen. <laughs> there you go. So, Jeremy, how can people get in touch with you to find out some more information? Yeah, just go point to the website, yeah, americancentury.com. That's the best way to do it. Uh, there's a portfolio construction um, little segment on there uh that you know they can kind of explore but yeah that's probably the best way to do it is the 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 website so brad how do people get in touch with you well best way is our website is to come to artisanwealthstrategies.com i know that that's hard to spell but you'll find us just start typing and uh get close to artisan and you'll find us and we'll be there but this is a, a very important topic. You can ping on that website and, and, and request a follow-up and we can review your current portfolio and, and talk to you about your goals. And like I said, our, our objective is to get to know you. So that's really the next steps is to reach out to us and let us know you want to be known and we'll get to know you and figure out how best to put together the right portfolio for you, for the outcome that you need in your life. And when uh, trying to look up that uh, web address, spell check, twice hit send once once yeah <laughs> all right everybody please like follow and share this podcast thank you for joining us today until next time i'm wendy mcconnell thank you for listening to handcrafting your retirement visit our website at www.artisanwealthstrategies.com or give us a call at 317-660-2855 and don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Artisan Wealth Strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC.